Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages, where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And before we get started, just wanted to say that today was announced that Peter Mayhew, the guy that played Chewie in Star Wars, uh, just an, an awesome, cool guy to meet in person. And I was fortunate to have met him at a, at a couple conventions, although brief and certainly in passing, had passed away just a couple days ago. And it was announced today that he had passed away at the age of 74. And yet it's all over the internet. And of course, it's, it's shocking. Uh, and, um, and you know, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, just kind of depressing, really, because it's, it's a bit like you see somebody who's been a part of something so iconic and, and so well mimicked and enjoyed those kinds of people get wrapped up in something that becomes way bigger than themselves. And then they just kind of ride that wave uh, and just, you know, add to it. And uh, he was just one of those guys. So kind of a bummer, but also want to throw that out there as, as a sort of a memoriam, right? Because you, you celebrate those who touched your life, you know, at every opportunity you get. And he's definitely somebody who touched millions and millions of lives for about as long as he possibly could. Indeed. With that said, we are moving into the next challenge for Parzival. Yes, the next challenge after the mass genocide of Gunters. The mass, the mass exodus, the mass genocide of Gunters. Mass genocide of everyone, right? Kind, well, yeah, like more than half the Oasis population, right? Right. And something else I want to mention, a slightly different death... Slightly different death. A dramatically different death. God, that was shitty to say, really. A dramatically different kind of death. Uh, when we talk about, we've talked a number of times about about death in the Oasis being kind of a permanent thing, or at the very least, losing all of your shit. You know, dropping back down to one and getting just your base clothing and losing your experience and your money. You're basically starting from scratch. And unbeknownst to me, there is somebody who had been playing on hardcore mode Minecraft for the past five years. What? Have you, dude, have you ever played Minecraft? No. All right. Well. I, I have a job. I have other things to do. So, no. I have not played Minecraft. 
I've heard this of guy, it. <laughs> you've heard of it. It was a game record for sure. He had walked 6,316 kilometers. He'd flown 7,798 kilometers. This is in-game, mind you. You know, and there's no making that faster, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. It's, it's a lot of movement, a lot of distance. He had jumped 732,000 times. So this isn't a situation where over the past five years, he had just kind of gotten in and played a little and then stopped for five weeks and then got in and played a little. We're talking about consistently. And he recorded it, too. So it's Phil Watson of Newcastle, and he had been playing on the most difficult hardcore mode, which means that your character cannot be brought back to life. Once you die, that's it. Your character, everything your character had is gone. Wait, wait, wait. You wait. So, to, you... so hold up a second. I mean, you have a, mm-hmm. a choice to do that mode? Yes. What do you get for that? It's hard. <laughs> it's a higher level of risk. There's the... The thrill of playing the game and and coming close to death. Every every risk you take, the reward is sweeter. You know, it's it's remember remember we had that that chat about cheating in a game. How it kind of seems to take away the sweetness of that risk and reward. Well, it's a way to look at it. <laughs> this is the extreme of that. He was living on the edge in Minecraft, but that's phenomenal though. He played for five years. That's an enormous amount of distance. Apparently nonstop. Yeah. It, no, no, it wasn't nonstop. Like you can get your character to, you know, you can create a bed, you can get on the bed, you can go to sleep, you can leave the game, you can come back and wake up where you slept. What? What, so, what is yeah. this game? Yeah, I know, right? It's, uh, it's fun, but it's, you know, you end up creating a lot of stuff, collecting a lot of stuff, building a lot of stuff. So when your character dies and that world goes away, all that stuff that you did, all of your efforts are gone. Wait, so like if you built like a, a replica of the Taj Mahal, is it gone now? Gone. Gone. All the stuff that you, you collected over time, there is no going back into the game. Oh, no, I just dropped the stuff I had. I'll just go and pick up the crap out of my chest and rearm myself and, and keep on. No, it's gone. That's this mode. Once you die, that world is over. I could totally make a... Game of Thrones illusion, but I know you don't watch it, so it'd be lost on you. Well, well, well for everyone else, what would it be? Well, I was going to say, it's kind of like if you kill the Night King, all the White no. Walkers die. Oh, is that what happens? I don't know. Oh, I, okay. Lost on me, but I'm sure everyone else gets it. So this guy was playing his game, and uh, he, he was streaming it, live streaming it, and he had killed a number of zombies, and and... He popped through a hole, and then a flaming baby zombie attacked him. He caught on fire, and then he tried to beat at it, and then a spider got him, and then he died. Five years over just not taking, you know, the precaution of of clearing out an area first before jumping into it. And then you just, you see his health. You see the little hearts just drop one at a time. And his response for having lost... Five years worth of effort is absolutely classic. It is it is phenomenal. Hopefully this is where you insert sound of him screaming. No! Really? That's how I die? Oh my god, I'm fucking stupid. I'm fucking stupid. I can hear the screaming on my end. <laughs> oh, a baby zombie. <laughs> loser. And he's, and what? He's a loser. 
What? Well, you know, five years on hardcore, dude, that is nothing to laugh at. You know, you, that, you know how my Game of Thrones reference that I may cut out meant nothing to you? Right. All this is just like totally. It's just washing through you. You're like, so what? Yeah. I, I think that uh, I think that maybe one of our side podcast episodes needs to be you and I playing Minecraft together. Does it cost any money? You're so cheap. I am cheap. <laughs> Not if I host a server. Wait a second. Yeah, you'd need a copy of the game, but I think the game's like fifteen bucks or free or some shit. You could get a free copy. And and here's another thing that's really cool. There's a version of the game that allows you to play in VR and I've played this. Ooh. And it is phenomenal. It because you're you can go on top of a mountain look around and you literally get woozy because you can look over this cliff of well, you know, cliff of blocks and and you feel the distance and you use your joystick to move around and jump. And it is uh pretty phenomenal. Pretty phenomenal. It feels pretty damn real. When whenever uh, you come to visit we'll play it out. But cool. Anyhow we should talk about this book. We should fucking talk about this book. So the cross point to this book is the fact that that when you die, you know, there's a degree of permanence here. And matter of point is that as Parzival clears into this this blackness, what what comes out of this as he's transitioned from the gate into what his next challenge is going to be, there is, quote, a booming computer-generated voice that says, beat the high score or be destroyed. Which is, uh, you know, kind of, it harkens back to the fact that, you know, these aren't just tests. These are, you know, again, every, every test is life-threatening in the game. And this being one example of that. Yeah, we better get it right the first time. And I like how this chapter lays it out. He needs to get it right. You can't, you can't screw up in the game that is being presented. And what is the game that is presented? Tempest. Atari, nineteen eighty. Tempest, which I have actually played. I have played a little bit. I uh, I suck. I'm not good at Tempest, so oh, I I like Parzival. Do not have much time ranked up on Tempest. Do not deem it to be an important game, but it is important here, evidently. Yeah, I also was not very good at it. I granted, I didn't play that much. I think my top score in the short period of time that I played it was like 25,000 points or something. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, he's talking about getting, was that 180,000 points just to get the exploit to work? Well, the high score on the game is the 728,329 points. Oh, I, oh, I points. know, but like to get the 40 free credits, he had to get like 100, over 180,000 and then have the last two digits be either like 0, 6, 12, or something else. And for me, that would, that just achieving that would have been a significant challenge. Sure. Well, it's interesting because I'd been doing a little research on the game Tempest, and it turns out that we weren't not necessarily talking about a bug so much as we're talking about codes that were left in by someone at Atari. Codes that were, that were left in as a means of doing a number of things, but the, there were codes left in. So in, in looking around a little bit, it turns out that it was a little bit more complicated than 180,000. So, oh. so the gist here is that if your score was XXYYZZ, right? 
So a, a six-digit number of some sort. XX needed to be greater than 16. So you had to have a score of greater than 160,000, right? Now, YY meant needed to be between 29 and 60. So if you had a score of 162,900 points, that covers the first four of those digits. But the last two digits, once you were kind of within those two ranges there, that's what actually you could use to trigger a certain thing. Now, 6, 11, and 12 would get you 40 credits if the last two digits were one of those two digits, right? Was, was it 6, 11, and 12 was mentioned in the book? So here's the line from the book. First, you need to rack up over 180,000 points. Once you've mm -hmm. done that, make sure you end the game with a score where the last two digits are 06, 11, or 12. Okay. Well, so they kind of skipped over some of the other parameters. That's okay, because that would have been too technical. I could even imagine an argument where it's kind of like, we don't want to give away all of the secrets, right? So, you know, those who are in the know are still in the know. And it's a bit like a magician giving away his trick, right? So we've given a little bit of the trick away, which is that it has to be greater than 180,000, uh, which technically has to be greater than 160,000. There are a couple more point ranges that it's got to be between, but those last two digits are important for specifically what you're targeting. Now, here's the cool part. Uh, if the last two digits were 0, 0, so double odd, right, then that would freeze the screen. <gasps> if it was 01, then you could access the book bookkeeping tools for the game. So I guess that would be like where the game would tell you how much money had been spent or racked up, how many coin, how many you know, quarters a person had popped in. 14 and 15 would credit sound with actual credit. 16, 17, and 18 would also give you 40 credits. Uh, if you hit 41, then the last two digits of the score could flip, which is weird because then that would just be 14, right? <laughs> um, 42 would increase the score quickly, which might be a great shortcut for, for getting a high score really fast. 50 and 51, the player moves by itself. 60 through 70 has objects drifting in different directions depending on the number. And there are a couple more tricks that can be activated by playing the attract mode 05 and then setting the last two digits to either 46 or 48. 46 made a random colored level with wrong enemies, and 48 would give you 255 extra lives. That should be enough. <laughs> 255 extra lives, eh, you're going to be playing the game for a while. Going to need a pee break. Yeah, no kidding, right? You just pass it off to somebody else and they just keep playing. But back when people would make money on this, what you were really doing is you weren't just cheating the game, you were cheating the guy who who put the game out there to make money off of this game, you know, this console, right? So 255 extra lives was really maxing the, like, the number of lives you could get. Because you had one life initially, and then 200, that totals 256. It's almost like you know the top memory level for the number of lives that you could get there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get you. So it was just, it was interesting digging a little bit further into the game. And uh, I'd like to see if I can't get a copy of that ROM to see if I can't simulate it and, and cheat it. Because... Wait, wait, wait. I, I, Hold on a second. You want to do a cheat? It's an Easter egg. First off, it, all right, so first off, you've got to get to that score, right? You've got to, you've got to get into the hundreds of thousands, right? 
Oh, I'd love to see you try. I, I know how much you dislike this game. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of this game. It's 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 basically throw shit down the side of a well. That's that is the game, honestly. Um, it is kind of cool looking, but I was never very good at it. So that's more on me than anything else. But I would like to see if I couldn't trigger these these nested little cheat codes in the system based on score. And quite frankly, if I could get 160,000 points, I ain't cheating. I'm doing something right. You're doing okay. <laughs> You're doing all right. You're doing all right. You got most of the way there. But back to the book. So it turns out that this is not Parzival's strong point. No, he kind of screwed the pooch on that one. And evidently, I mean, like we could break out aluminum foil theories, tin foil hat theories here, but but it turns out that that Artemis like had all those. Yeah, oh yeah, she she was owning the hell out of it. What was she picking out here? She picked up on the fact that it was from the last play written by William Shakespeare. She also picked up on the fact that the game Tempest appears in the video for the song Subdivisions by Rush, one of hmm. Halliday's favorites. Right. All Rush all the time. Got it. So I, don't, I thought this was just kind of perfect, like a perfect storm of coincidence. And because that's kind of what we look for. That's what yeah. we do. It's like we go, hey, there's that thing. And then we find all these little things that point to that one thing and go, oh, well, it's just fucking obvious now. Yeah. So the third gate ha- has part of it being the video game Tempest, which happens to be the name of a Shakespeare play which happens mm-hmm. to be the last, his final play, and we're in the final gate, right? Right. And it has this line that fits perfectly with the hunt and as a signifier to how difficult the hunt was going to be. Right. Right. And, so and she, it happened she... to be in a Rush video. I like the fact that that it's not coming through Parzival this time. This time it is coming through through Artemis. And I think like in previous episodes, I, I've argued when, when, when the question came up, who was the better Gunter, right? I think that came up way early in the show. Who was the better Gunter? It comes up every now and then. It comes up every now and then. And I would, I would always argue, well, Parzival is the better Gunter. He has less. He's doing more with less. But the fact of the matter is, is that they've all leaned on each other so much to kind of break through in different areas of the contest. Here is an example where Parzival falls short, where Parzival missed the boat. And Artemis found all of the clues pointing to this game, that if it was Artemis going in and playing this, it would be a no-brainer. Yeah, but she never would have gotten past Joust. <laughs> so... <laughs> She eventually got past Joust. Eventually. But, but if no, it was no, no, her. I, I hear what you're saying. It, like, it, it's one of those things where it's really nice when the quote-unquote hero of the story, the, the, the main protagonist, is not all-knowing, not all-powerful, and requires the help of others to accomplish his goal, mission. Right. And because in some ways, if it was if it had been Parzival who knew this, the whole, you know, knew everything. God, that'd be so boring. Yo, no, you're absolutely right. Like you really you really do need 
the hero of the story to fall and falter and not and not be perfect at everything. You you really do need the hero to lean on others. He needs to be not the giant, but the one who stands on the shoulders of giants and is just fortunate enough to be in the position to do so and thankful to be in the position. Can you imagine how this story would have been if he had not gone in here having offered to split the winnings? <laughs> it's like She'd be like, I know how this can help you, but I'll trade you that secret for $20 billion. <laughs> I'd be doing that. You do if you if you give me twenty billion dollars, I'll tell you how to beat uh, Tempest. I'd do a lot of things for twenty billion dollars. Let me tell you. <laughs> but I mean, could could you imagine them kind of like negotiating their way to helping him through? But all that said, uh, they're working together, and that's and nice. they do they th- th- that's nice, and they do get past the game. And you know, I will say that at this point in the book, I was kind of disappointed, maybe because oh, all right, why? Well, work with me here for a second, okay? Like, I thought, wow, okay, so you have to go in and play this game. And we've already done games in the past. We've played Joust, right, with the Lich King. That was cool. That was and cool. then what other game did we play? We played... Black Tiger. Black Tiger in 3D, though, right? 3 Rather than the 2D scroller that it was, we played it in 3D. That's cool. So now for the gate, we are playing another game, and... As it turns out, it's not just another game, it's another screen flicks. I mean, a flick, was, flick sync? A flick sync. And we also played uh, Zork. So all of those were kind of cool. Like, Zork was kind of like a real-life Zork. That's neat. Which, by the way, on that note, slight side path. The code base for Zork was recently released to the public on GitHub. So if you're curious as to how a game kind of comes together and how they coded it, you should go check it out. What I, what, but what I went to go look for was the weapons that you could collect, all the items you could collect, but also all the ways you could die. So they had in one file all the ways that you could die and all the things that would be said if you died, if you made a bad choice. Oh. Anyhow, go check that out. But again, I, we can hear... to understand it? I'm not a programmer. Yeah, absolutely. So... so Let's 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 research some of these because it's fun. Uh, do a search for GitHub and uh, Zork. Zork one. You got it. Click on that one. All right. So what you're looking for is oneactions.zil. Oh, routine. West house. Rarg. <laughs> Condition equal rarg. M look tell. You are standing in an open field west of a white house with a bordered front door. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have different things that you can do, like different, I guess, that's conditions is C-O-N-D. And what it does is it's telling the user a certain thing, right? But what's interesting is that as you start to kind of scroll down and read through it, what you find is... This looks laborious to program. Oh, my God, yes. Yes, it definitely looks like it. Okay, so here's what you're looking for. You're looking for the phrase jigs up. Jigs dash up, J I G S dash U P. Right where it says brushing your teeth. <laughs> yeah, read that one. That's a good one. Well, you seem to have been brushing your teeth with some sort of glue. As a result, your mouth gets glued together with your nose, and you die of respiratory failure. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out there's 21 deaths 
and that it can tell you that you can experience by making a stupid decision. So one of them says, unfortunately, the magic boat doesn't provide protection from the rocks and boulders one meets at the bottom of waterfalls, including this one. You're dead. How about this one? The leaves burn, and so do you. <laughs> uh, in other words, fighting the fierce currents of the frigid river, you manage to hold your own for a bit, but then you are carried over a waterfall and into some nasty rocks. Ouch. As the knife approaches its victim, your mind is submerged by an overmastering will. Slowly your hands turn until the rusty blade is an inch from your neck. The knife seems to sing as it savagely slits your throat. Yeah, wow, that, that, that's a nice one. It takes a talented person to be killed while already dead. You are such a talent. Unfortunately, it takes a talented person to deal with it. I'm not such a talent. Sorry. What the, uh, this guy, I mean, I think this like late night, 20th cup of coffee kind of shit, right? You are clearly a suicidal maniac. We don't allow psychotics in the cave since they may harm other adventurers. Your remains will be installed in the land of the living dead where your fellow adventurers may gloat over them. It, here's one that's rather relevant to a movie we were talking about last time. A booming voice says, wrong, Cretan, and you notice that you have turned into a pile of dust. How I can't imagine. So there's tons of this shit, but it's on, if you do a search for GitHub and Zork1, it'll come up. And again, if you go into actions.zil and do a search for jigs up, or jigs dash up, <clears throat> then you can find all of the possible deaths. And there's about, it looks like 21 deaths, uh, 21. There's 21 instances of the phrase jigs up. Yes, there are 21 instances, but there are deaths nestled within. So... And you can have fun checking that out. And that's kind of cool because rather than playing the game and, and trying to figure out all the ways you could die, it's just kind of cool to come in here and see, you know, all the ways you could die. This is kind of fun. <laughs> the structural integrity of the rainbow is severely compromised, leaving you hanging in midair, supported only by water vapor. Bye. As you take your last breath, you feel relieved of your burdens. The feeling passes as you find yourself before the gates of hell, where the spirits jeer at you and deny you entry. Your senses are disturbed. The objects in the dungeon appear indistinct, bleached of color, even unreal. <laughs> Anyhow. Right. So how did we get onto this? All right. So it was one of the games <laughs> that was played. But then we get to this place in the book, and it's just him playing the game. Right. And I think this was just maybe a moment to... And in its original fashion. And in its original fashion. So again, it's another, another uh, not console, but... Cabinet. Cabinet. Thank you. It's an original cabinet game. And I think maybe this was just to showcase the fact that here you have an impossible score with an impossible number of lives to get that impossible score. But then it kind of delves deep into the lore of this particular game to sort of... Well, let's just say, for lack of better words, show off the the tricks behind getting this large number of lives that all of a sudden make the score a little bit easier to attain. Could you imagine if he had ported Tempest into a three-dimensional version? What, where you're looking down a well at shit coming up at you? And just floating around the perimeter trying to shoot at shit? Be kind of neat looking, maybe. That'd be hard. You'd have to run around this craggly... Exercise. Everybody well, needs their cardio. I, I guess. That wouldn't turn me on at all. I mean, was he literally jumping when he was doing Black Tiger? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, and that's but, exercise. I don't know if he was like actually jumping, but whatever. I, I think he was actually jumping. That's, that's kind of part of the, the realism, right? Maybe. I guess. So where does that leave us? So he was supposed to achieve a high score greater than 728-329, mm-hmm. which, as best as I can tell, is a completely meaningless number. Right, right. And a challenge to anyone who sees that number, when I looked that shit up, I couldn't find Jack either. So I only found a few things that are obviously not where it came from. The number 728329 is apparently like a model number or product code for a... A desk. No, a deadbolt. A a deadbolt, okay. So I was like, oh, okay, well, obviously not where we were going, but, you know, it did take three keys to get here, and keys go into deadbolts. I like the hex color that you found, the army green, and I was thinking maybe, maybe that color was used in in Tampa. No. No. Not so much. No. No, it's mostly blues and purples and yellows and shit. And the only other silly thing that I found was that uh, for anybody that's ever gone house hunting would know what MLS means. It's that system where properties are posted for sale or whatever. It's like a big network of stuff. And this wouldn't be the first time that we have found some weird hint to an address within the book. Yeah, so there's an MLS number 728329 for a house in Dayton, Ohio. But that, so what? (laughs) Yeah. So close yet so far. I I like, I like, I like the the path you went down though. It's not where I I went. That's the path that Google sent me on. I take zero credit for it. (laughs) I like the MLS thing though. That's pretty cool. All right. So, so he gets the the score to to get the 40 credits. Mm -hmm. And so, he realizes that he's only got one credit, just like with Black Tiger. And he does something that I thought was kind of funny, but he takes out the uh, the now spent artifact, the extra life quarter, mm-hmm. and tries to put it into the machine. And it you never know. It, you never know. And it didn't work. Just came right back because out. Because it only takes tokens, obviously. So we could talk a little bit about how the whole token system was a bunch of bullshit. I always walked out of, anytime I bought tokens, I usually walked out with tokens in my pocket. And that's the trick, isn't it? They get you to buy like $5, $10 worth of tokens, right? Because you get that you get the extra token if you, if you pay for more. But they know that nine times out of 10, you're going to walk away with tokens in your pocket, which means you spent more for those damn games than just 25 cents a game. Yeah. Anyhow, that's my problem with tokens. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. That's It's like in-game currency. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, when you, when you, when you prepare to do what you do for a living, what is your, uh, do, you, do you do the head roll? Do you do the shoulder cracking, the knuckle cracking? Do you have like a pre-game ritual? I mean, like before I go to work? I guess, yeah. Usually I just wipe the tears of sadness away from my eye and say, <laughs> you do it for the paycheck. <laughs> Uh, okay, all right. That's uh, you shed a tear, you wipe it away, you flick it onto the ground, and you harden your heart for another day. It would appear that that Parzival does a little bit of pregame stretching, right? A little, a little toss in the head left and right, just kind of get warmed up. It's his only exercise, <laughs> and it's in game. I mean, that's the funny part is he's just kind of rolling around, getting ready, like he's he's about to go into a boxing match. Yeah, no, I get the whole neck roll thing. It really it releases some tension. 
Right, right. Might get a few cracks out of it too. It feels like stalling. Hey, you know what? Those everybody's got their rituals, and for them it works. It's superstitions. It's whatever. I say, let the man have it. I mean, granted, he's burning valuable seconds, but they're all burning seconds on his behalf anyway. Mm-hmm. So I say, just let him do it. Gotcha. If it gets gotcha. It, if it gets him in the right place, let him do it. So, what movies have a sort of pregame ritual? What movies have a pregame ritual? Uh-huh. What were you thinking? Give me an example so that I can then uh, understand the question better. Okay, I'll give you an example. National Lampoons. You know, uh, Chevy Chase is kind of eyeing the pretty girl in the pool. Uh, okay. and, uh, and he claps up and goes, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is crazy, before he jumps in the pool. How's the water? Exhilarating. <laughs> I'm in deep. I'm That's in his deep. pregame warm-up. Okay. I can make a reference to an instance where Parzival's pregame warm-up is kind of used in a movie. Okay. We did a bonus episode I still haven't edited yet about it. Oh. Which one? When Lucas Lee comes out of the trailer in Scott Pilgrim, he rolls his neck back and forth and they has some good cracks on it. And mm-hmm. then he skates away. That's kind of like what Parzival does. Yeah, yeah. I get you. Sort of that, sort of that prep, that sort of pep, pep, pepping yourself up a bit, just kind of preparing to get in and get crazy with it. Okay. I don't know if he used the same strategy when he was being all Captain America. No, I don't think so. Because at that level, there is no warm up. You just go in and do it. That's a real hero. Because a warm up, just you might be, you might be letting a little stress off and getting prepared and and whatnot. But it, you're stalling. You're stalling a little. You're just doing what it takes to get past the stall. The cracking the knuckles thing. I mean, I guess if you're about to like get get your hands on a controller, probably good to kind of work them out a little bit. Oh yeah, I've done that before. Like my son, my son and I picked up uh, Mortal Kombat 11, and and he's been threatening to kick my butt. So I'd sit down with him and and then I you know crack my knuckles and stretch a little bit, and he'd be like, "Get on with it!" And I'm like, "Hold on, hold on, I've got to." Get myself into into that place I'm where I'm doing the Parzival. Doing it. the I'm doing the thing. I'm doing the Parzival. I'm, I'm warming up, and then and then I would kick his butt because that's what dads do up until a certain point. Right up until a certain point. All right. So so he, so he finally gets the score mm-hmm. to get the forty extra credits, and he enters his initials W O W. Wow. World of Warcraft. Wade Owen Watts. Yes, indeed. He tells Artemis that she's a genius. And then while he goes through some not-so-good games, and Artemis just starts talking to him about where the idea for The Tempest came from, and about the guy, David Thurr, who got the idea from a nightmare he had about monsters crawling up out of a hole in the ground, Mm -hmm. which sounds like a really awful nightmare and congrats for capitalizing on it but shit Um, that's that'll fuck with your head not only that but to take a nightmare and then translate it into a pretty good vector art video game yeah right i mean that that did translate well so whatever horrible dream he had that that actually turned into a fairly popular game is pretty spectacular really and a, a video game that ended up in a music video Mm-hmm. And a novel. And a novel. 
And and also, this is one of those video games where the controls were fairly unique. So in this case, you had a button and a rotating dial. And the dial, as you turn, rotates you around the edge of this this boxy well where the monsters are coming up from the bottom. And I thought that's kind of interesting because most games, most games are like joystick and buttons for jumping or shooting and moving. But in this case, in this case, it was one button and a knob that you could rotate. And, and for all the games that you could play, this was a fairly unique control for video games. I'd also say that for me, it felt like a game that was somewhat approachable because... I know, knob and button. Yeah. like it, How hard could it, it be? It seemed like it was dumbed <laughs> down for someone as dumb as me when it comes to Aww. video games. Because, you know, you're just kind of whirling around and you're shooting shit in the middle. How hard can that be, right? I mean, it is right. very hard. Oh, don't get me wrong. I didn't get that far. But the, it, the premise was really simple. Mm-hmm. Straightforward. There's not a lot of rules to it. Easy. Yeah. But hard. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, and it got progressed. It got progressively more difficult, like you do. Uh, but but at some point, Parsifal reached his limit. He reached his uh, his the max that he needed. He wanted to even continue on, but let his player die because he kind of already reached past that goal. Yeah, and only after he had the motivation of realizing that you know everybody's been watching him and mm-hmm. the Sixers are right up on his tail. Yep. A- another example of him. Basically, yeah, another example of the competition bringing out the best in him, which is a, I'll use the word trope in this case, but it's a common Parzival trope. Mm -hmm. He clears level 81 with a score of 802, 488. And boy, would I have loved it if his score was 802, 701, because that would have just been awesome. Why? Oh, you don't know this. The Time Machine by H.G. Wells Mm -hmm. and the subsequent movie from, I think it was the 60s. I'm going to ignore the one that was done in our time, but that's the year that the time travel goes to. Oh, okay. 802-701. Indeed, sir. Huh. But that's not here. It's not. So Sadly. So close. So close. But the message, we reach the end of the game, and a message appears at the center of the screen. Well done, Parzival. Prepare for stage two. Ooh, more stages. And then everything goes black. Basically, everything vanishes, including him. Bye-bye. Which brings us to, to which I was kind of surprised that this didn't turn into its own separate chapter, right? Because you kind of reach that place, and it feels like, boom, another chapter. Uh, but not so much. I'm glad you mentioned that, because it really felt like just... Uh, like at this point, we've we've read this book so many times. You can kind of recognize the style and like how he likes to end chapters. And there's at least a couple instances in this chapter where you felt like it could have been the end of a chapter. Mm-hmm. But it ca- it keeps on going. Yeah, and in this chapter, it keeps on going when he finds himself galloping across a fog-covered hillside. Is he riding a horse? You would think, because... There are hoof there are hoof beats. You can hear the hoof beats. Directly ahead of him. And he finds himself in front of a familiar-looking castle that just appears out of the fog. Warm out! Ooh, foreboding. Foreboding. 
So yes, we're in another flick sync. Now, remember when I said I was a little disappointed here? Because it's kind of like we're going to do something original with video games, then we're going to do flick syncs, and then it feels like we've gotten here and it's kind of like, haven't we already done flick syncs and video game thingies before? Yeah, but don't forget, James Halliday was programming this on his deathbed. He might have run out of time to really do... Something, something original? Well, to do something that last... would have made him say, this is going to make Chris happy. <laughs> I, was, I was really just expecting kind of like, you know, well, what do we do for the, you know, what do we do for the last part of this? Oh, well, we'll just take two things we've already done and mash them up together. We'll just do, we'll just do that. Yeah, but when you have three parts to the gate, they can, uh-huh. they can be on their own a little more simplified. I I guess. Well, and then and then there's the movie that we're going into. There is, but actually, before we go to that, okay. Do you think Tempest is easier or harder than Joust? Um, <clears throat> I don't know because I suck at both games. Okay, so then we might have to ask our uh, our buddies on social media for their thoughts because I suck at both too. Okay. I feel like Joust might be a wee bit harder. Um, but I, that's without experience, enough experience in it. I, I think Joust is a more complicated game. There are There's a, a gravity dynamic that you have to take into account, so it's very Flappy Birds. I'm not saying that it copied Flappy Birds, obviously, but you get it. You got to press a button and flaps wings and the thing goes up a little, but then gravity starts to pull it down. So there, there is kind of this sort of feel to the gravity and then of course there's the movement left and right that you've got to deal with and then you've got to be a hair above whoever your opponent is in order to knock them off their bird i i think it's i think joust is a more complicated game i just think that tempest is one of those games where where it has a very specific muscle memory for a very specific kind of odd playing way on odd playing type Again, you're using that knob and you've got to stop at just the right position, you know, to fire the laser down and shoot the thing crawling up the wall. And and in its simplicity, it turns into a stamina kind of thing. Like Joust, Joust is less stamina. Like you're going to get through Joust and there are going to be winners and losers and you can kind of burn through that. But Tempest, kind of like Pac-Man, is a stamina game. You know, it's not per se complex so much as it is that you've got to be very articulate with the control in, in, a, in a way that's unusual or different from other games. Mm-hmm. And then once you get that down, you just you just have to keep going and keep going. I don't know. Yeah, Does that I, make sense? I, with uh, Tempest, you're basically going around a hole, so it's pretty straightforward. I feel like hmm. you have to be a lot more manipulative. In... You feel like going around the hole is pretty straightforward, huh? Generally. Okay. Go on. What? You're just going around that kind of... Hole. Hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Go you on. Kinda, you have two directions to go. You're going clockwise or counterclockwise. Okay. But you're when you're playing Joust, you're, you got your hand on the joystick, and you're whipping it back and forth and back and forth, and you're flapping the little flapper a lot. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a lot more of an intense... Uh, yeah, I'd agree. I think joystick's more. I'm sorry. I think joust is more complicated. I think there's there's more of a like a finesse to it. Yeah, I I think it would be easier to get good at tempest than it would be to get good at joust. Yeah, I think joust is a is a 
skill heavy game and i think that tempest is a strategy game uh, i think tempest is a um pattern what is it what is it when you go for a long period of time endurance word. thanks i think i said this like five minutes ago i think <laughs> tempest is an endurance game it's who has the most endurance have another to, sip to play of that it. energy drink energy drink yeah um, i'll get on that mm. caffeine so yeah that would be my feel but i'm curious as to what everyone else has to say about that so anyway, let, let's go back to this uh, new flick sync we got going on here, which is from your favorite movie and mine, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh oh, sounds like your favorite gunters may not be fans of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That may be tough to swallow. Tune into the next episode to hear what they have to say, and don't forget some coconuts. So yes, we're in another uh, another flink sink. I can't remember flink flick flink sink. Say it. Flick sink. Say it. Flick sink. There you go.